Hanukon. 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 You're listening to Hanukon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hanukon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. During this episode, we'll hear from Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services Chief Medical Officer regarding COVID, learn about a CPN veteran included on the Cultural Heritage Center's Wall of Honor, and talk to the producer of the Grand Casino Hotel and Resort's Emmy-winning music program. In May, CPN Health Services Chief Medical Officer and Family Physician Dr. Adam Vassalero joined us on the podcast to discuss the tribe's response to the coronavirus. He visited with me on Zoom again to give us an update. Five months later, he says we are still fighting the same battle. Well, I wish I had more positive news, but the answer is um, nothing has changed. Um, We've got good data to show that uh, we're still in the first wave. Um, The first wave started back in February, March, and then the state had a three-phase comeback that was very rushed. And at the end of that three-phase comeback, uh, you know, our, our, if you just look at the angle, it was going up at about a a 20 degree angle and after that third comeback it started going up at a 45 degree angle and we're still there so we are still in um, the first wave of COVID-19 and it is expanding um, I think we have a very good sampling the citizen Potawatomi nation and its location is between some of the hottest spots in Oklahoma and if you literally draw a line between um, University of Oklahoma and Norman and Oklahoma State University in Stillwater and then draw a separate line between um, Seminole and McLeod, they intersect right over the Potawatomi Nation. And our sampling is, I feel, a very good representation of what's going on in Oklahoma, which unfortunately, the truth is, we're still in the first wave, it's still going on, it's still expanding far more rapidly than, uh, than people are being told from a state perspective. And um, you know, it, it is, it is real. And um, that's where we're at. How has CPN Health Services continued to deal with it? We started implementing uh, precautions early and, and that kept us safe. And that's where we learned very early on that masks work. Not only do they work, they work well. Um, Due to our own internal data, um, there was you know, we'd had multiple exposures to employees, but there was no transmission um, because they were wearing masks. And so we learned, we utilized that frontline experience to learn and grow and work through some things. Uh, fortunately, um, you know, the the chairman on his own implemented the mask mandate at Potawatomi Nation. And I'm so thankful because things were just getting so bad and going so uh, rapid spreading at that time. And, and we had the, uh, the, the view from our perspective, which is honestly two or three weeks um, uh, ahead of what's going on in the state. I can almost tell you what's going to happen in the state two or three weeks before based our in, on our internal data. And, you know, that, that was a big help. You know, we entered uh, the phase one comeback and it went well, but due to the fact that our internal data 
um, was not agreeing with the state of Oklahoma's internal data. We stayed in phase one longer and we actually pushed back the end date of phase one later. And that left uh, more telehealth going on, which, uh, you know, uh, our staff, um, I, I've got to give uh, huge credit to Dr. Ryan Adams, our psychiatrist, and Dr. Megan Wilson, one of our young, young CPN tribal member family physicians. I, get, I delegated some leadership to them to take um, on the implementation of telehealth. Uh, and that has gone wonderfully and allowed us to serve our patients in a safe manner. You know, it's it's not perfect, but it is actually very good. And in some situations, it's really good. Um, while I'm on that subject, I think telehealth is something that's here to stay. I don't know exactly how, but we are doing telehealth, teledental, telephysical therapy. I mean, there we have got some amazing um, employees at the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services that are just adapting and thinking outside the box to care for our patients, and I am so proud. Um, but that all that telework was part of our phase one reopening, and since the data was not showing any slowdown uh, in the spread, we elected to push the end date back twice. Um, eventually, we got a deeper understanding through experience and it ended up going into phase two, which is what we're in now, where we are allowing a f uh, seeing some more uh, clinic visits. The problem is, is we're still having to socially distance our nurses and, and some other staff. So we don't actually have as many patient rooms as we used to. So televideo is still the preferred option. Um, but now we're into phase two. We're still doing temperature checks at the doors. We're still requiring mask wearing by all and we are still delivering uh, uh, pharmaceuticals through the drive-through. You were talking about staying in phase two and you know keeping everything that has been implemented. Do you just think all of that stuff is still uh, absolutely essential? Oh, I think it's essential. I think it's, I've been a believer in mass from early on and I've got the data to back it up. I know they work. You know, I, uh, to take full responsibility for it, have, developed a hybrid method where I'm pairing um, not only PCR nasopharyngeal testing, uh, but also um, uh, a blood draw that checks for the COVID-19 IgG uh, antibodies that uh, are indicative that some form of longer term immunity uh, has set in. And so we have added a heightened layer that we do not clear people, at least within CPN, um, and consider them recovered until A, they've not only met the CDC symptom method, uh, but B, they've also developed antibodies. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services and the nation itself uh, has been ahead of the curve and we our processes are, are more mature than the states and uh, it's we are very blessed. People have been hearing a lot about vaccines, you know, uh, timelines. What have you been hearing? What have you been uh, looking forward to for the future? Currently, there are five or six vaccines in active development by multiple companies. Uh, the federal government has a uh, project called Operation Warp Speed that is helping fund some of these vaccines to take the financial risk off these companies. But also what they're doing is while these vaccines are uh, being studied, 
they are actually mass producing these vaccines at the same time. So as soon as one of these clinical trials is positive, they will ship them. Um, the latest thing that I have heard is for general wide distribution, it's probably gonna be January now. Uh, what I can say, and I need to give a large amount of credit here is to our CPN's emergency manager, Tim Zintek. He has really voluntarily taken the lead on this. And I'm not just talking with CPN. He has gathered uh, emergency management professionals from uh, other local tribes, uh, the communities, uh, the health department and uh, as as CPNHS and CPN usually do, we are ending up leading in the vaccine drive in our local communities. Um, it looks like right now we're going to get two sources of vaccine. One will be for IHS for our Native American population, the Moderna vaccine, and the other will be the BioNT Pfizer vaccine through the state. The Moderna vaccine will probably be the, be the one we get you know, middle of next year. We've already got needles and syringes and whenever the vaccine is released, um, and, and I'm hoping and praying that it's January, that we're gonna be ready to go live and do some drives uh, very soon. Um, there is an extra emphasis just this year on getting your flu shot and getting it early in ASAP um, because We've been very fortunate that COVID-19, a, a virus that mainly causes respiratory issues has been spreading in the summer uh, when respiratory viruses tend not to be as severe when you get it. We are, uh, I am concerned that people are gonna get it in the winter and might just be naturally sicker because it's more cold outside. I am also very concerned uh, about people possibly getting flu and COVID at the same time. Um, and so I would implore everybody who normally gets their flu shot and even those who normally don't get it but are willing to that this is the year to get your flu shot and get uh, that immunization built up. Unlike a thousand flu shots that we give every year, we are expecting to give anywhere from five to 15,000 COVID-19 vaccines uh, to uh, CPNHS Native American patients to the local community, to CPN employees, um, and, and that's a conservative. Um, but we are preparing to have multiple drives because one of the caveats I need to tell you about these vaccines is both the vaccines that we are being told we're going to get, they require two injections a month apart. So now you can double that number. So as far as the vaccine goes, we're planning on using the Fire Lake Arena for drive-through vaccinations in the winter, no matter whether it's freezing cold outside, whether it's raining, snowing, sleeting, we're going to be able to deliver the vaccines and through multiple drives. And again, I, I cannot thank uh, CPN Emergency Manager Tim Zentek enough, enough for his leadership on this. Keep up with CPN coronavirus updates by visiting cpn.news backslash COVID-19 or follow CPN on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation. The CPN Cultural Heritage Center honors servicemen and women by featuring photos on the Veterans Wall of Honor, highlighting efforts during wartime in exhibits and constructing an interactive database. 
In anticipation of Veterans Day, on November 11th, we are recognizing one of the veterans on the Wall of Honor with a short account of his service. Charles LeClaire was the first Native American Southern Baptist chaplain of the U.S. Army. He's a descendant of the Kaw Nation and Ponca Tribe of Oklahoma and a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. He grew up near Ponca City, Oklahoma, on an 80-acre allotment received by members of his family who are enrolled in the Ponca Tribe. After elementary school, he attended Shilako Indian School in Newkirk, Oklahoma, graduating in 1948 with an emphasis on blacksmithing. He expanded his education with degrees from Northern Oklahoma Junior College in Tonkawa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. LeClaire's vast skill set includes ministering, trombone, boxing, welding, and more. His military service in both the Army and Air Force took him to Georgia, Alaska, Fort Sill, New York, and Vietnam. After retiring from the military, LeClaire spent the next 23 years as a civil servant. As a sergeant in the Air Force, he became an ordained Baptist minister while serving in Alaska and founded a church in Palmer. He also pastored at a church while attending Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee. He then graduated with a Bachelor's of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1962, all of which led him to become a chaplain in the Army. After founding and ministering at several churches in Oklahoma and Kansas, LeClaire felt called back to the military. He became the first Native American Southern Baptist chaplain in the Army and attended Fort Hamilton Chaplain School in New York. While stationed at Fort Sill following Fort Hamilton, he established a chapel at Aviation Command. LeClaire became the first field artillery brigade chaplain and held many military funerals, one for a Chilaco classmate who visited LeClaire the evening before he deployed to Vietnam. During an interview with the Oklahoma City Times in November 1969, LeClaire said, What I like most is that in the Army, the chaplain is considered part of the team and is able to mingle with the people in duty situations. You have more exposure to people who are in your charge. LeClaire was stationed in South Vietnam in spring 1967 on active duty and was quickly promoted to captain and chaplain of the 46th Engineer Battalion. Ten months into service, a vehicle accident left him with limited mobility for his last two months overseas. However, LeClaire finished his tour. He spent the next two years undergoing spinal fusion treatments at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., while assigned to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. LeClaire still served as Fort Jackson Hospital Chaplain while he overcame his injuries. LeClaire honorably retired in April 1972, five years after beginning his service in Vietnam. LeClaire received numerous awards and accolades for his service, including the Army Bronze Star, Commendation Medal, Vietnam Service Medal with four Bronze Service Stars, and a Republic of Vietnam Campaign Ribbon, just to name a few. His career following military service included working as a member of the Economic Stabilization Program of the 1970s, the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Federal Contract Compliance, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Manager for Lockheed Space Operations, now Lockheed Martin, until he retired in 1991. 
He became a member of the Shilako Indian School Hall of Fame in June 2003. If you're a veteran and a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation and would like your place on the Veterans Wall of Honor, please call 405-878-5830. Chad Matthews, the Director of Marketing at the Grand Casino Hotel and Resort, is also the producer of Play It Loud. Outsiders Productions shoots and edits the show, which combines interviews and live performances to highlight Oklahoma musicians of all genres. What started as an attempt to differentiate the Grand from other casinos with performance venues has since turned into a four-season, Emmy-winning production and a passion project for Matthews. He recently sat down with Hanukkah Podcast, and if our voices sound a little muffled, it's because we're following CPN guidelines and wearing our masks. So tell me about the beginning of Play It Loud. Where did this idea come from? So looking out across the the marketing and branding for the casino, um, you know, the Grand is, I believe, the premier destination in central Oklahoma as a casino. But when you sort of break all that down, we offer a lot of the same amenities as, say, a Riverwind. You know, we have a hotel, we have slot machines, we have table games, we have all the same sort of things. So trying to differentiate in a, in a pretty crowded market in, in Oklahoma is um, difficult at times. I always talk about if you've ever seen a... Um, you know, a casino television commercial, you've seen all of them. I mean, it's always a slightly middle-aged person behind a, you know, a slot machine cheering about their win or whatever. And if you removed the logo from those uh, commercials, you wouldn't have any idea where you're at. But trying to differentiate between the brands is an issue. So uh, trying to create content, I, I, I was trying to get, come up with an idea to create content that we could separate. Um, and then the second sort of... Um, issue that we have is that I, I think we also have one of the, if really not the best small venue uh, in the, in the state. I mean, it's a, you don't see many 1200 seat, 2000 seat venues that are, that are better than what we have at the grand. But the problem with that is, is that, you know, you get a, you get a national act come in, say we have Boston come in and, and perform and it's great for the night. The, the Boston fans come out, but then when Boston leaves, there's no residual or no tackiness to that that brand. So trying to figure out a way to, to, to root or seat a brand within that part of our, our operation as well. And I've made independent films with outsiders productions for 15 years now. So I knew that we had the skill set and and the the talent to be able to produce content. It was simply a matter of trying to put those pieces together. Um, I'm also a musician and follow music and know that, one of our, when you really think about it, uh, one of our, our greatest natural resources in Oklahoma is music. I mean, so well, many great artists it's from incredible. Oklahoma. Sure, I mean, Oklahomans owned country music in the '90s. <laughs> There's no way around that. So, just trying to put those two things together, and, and then I, I was also a big fan of, of Anthony Bourdain. So I approached my my brothers at Outsiders and, and Adam Hampton, who is the host. 
uh, who has written and directed everything that Outsiders has done. And I approached him and said, hey, I want to do this show, sort of a combination of Anthony Bourdain meets Austin City Limits. And the idea was that's, that... That's ambitious. Oh, very. <laughs> very, yeah. Uh, and it was when, when I told him, he kind of looked at me like, uh, what? <laughs> so, you know, the idea was is that at some point, you do it long enough, and then when, when the, sh- the Play It Loud logo comes up, you know what you're getting ready to see is going to be good, whether it's you don't know the artist or not, which is what happens with Austin City Limits. And uh, we did a, a pilot early on, and it took a couple years to kind of get everything figured out and together, and um, now we're getting ready to start uh, lining out our sixth season. We just got through filming the season five. So, so you know, we talked about, you know, how you – love Oklahoma music was that really a big push behind it wanting to highlight these Oklahoma artists that maybe people have never heard of give a diversity in Oklahoma music of course yeah and so you know what has happened and I I don't know if necessarily I, I envisioned this from the start but the way it has sort of evolved is is it's, it's not only telling the story of the talent of Oklahoma musicians, but I did make early on the, the decision that I didn't want it to be all hosted at the Grand because if we're going to make content that people are going to be interested in for a long term, I wanted it to be diverse and be interesting as standalone episodes. So I, I kind of said we're going to be venue agnostic and we're going to be genre agnostic in terms of what types of artists we have. Because it's really easy in this state to throw a dart and hit a red dirt band. Um, but there's also a great jazz scene that people, by and large, don't know about, I don't think. Uh, there's great singer-songwriters, there's great blues, there's great country, there's great bluegrass. I mean, we have all of those things happening in this state, so we wanted to be sure and, and cover those genres to help tell the story. But then along the way, what has happened is, is as we go to these different locations and different towns and different places, and usually it's places that are... Um, meaningful to the artist. So it'll be a studio that they've, they, they've recorded in or came up in or whatever, or a, you know, a bar that they've played in, or we've been to restaurants, we've been to abandoned buildings, basically. Uh, so we've, it, it's, it's kind of become um, a catalog or a, sort of a history of Oklahoma music in, in, in Oklahoma, but also telling the story of Oklahoma locations. The performance locations are really neat too it's not always at the grand yeah that last performance is always at the grand and that's how we sort of bring everything back it starts out with the grand's branding obviously as the 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 host or the underwriter of the show basically Uh, and then we'll have them do a, a single solo performance wherever i mean we've been in people's backyards we've been in the Calla was in the jewish heritage museum in tulsa um and then at the end, we bring it back to that stage that is set the same, basically, for the grand. So that's sort of rooting it back to the grand stage and venue. And then we follow that up each season with the actual live concert with them so people can come to the grand and, and see them on the, on the Play It Loud stage. And that's sort of how we tie all that back. What kind of response have you all gotten about the Play It Loud series? Um, you know, as people learn about it and and watch it it's been outstanding you know um 
it's really strange and having done low budget independent films for so long, you know, when people watch that content, the, the first reaction is often, Oh, well that's, that's like a real movie. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the point. Um, you can do great things without a ton of money. Um, so it's sort of the same with play out live. Like, wow, that's, that's a really good show. Almost like they're surprised that it was, that we made it. Um, but it, it has been overwhelmingly positive. It's growing now. Uh, past the Oklahoma borders. So that's that's another really neat thing that's going on. Yeah, you guys have, there are four seasons already, and you yeah. said earlier that you all have filmed the fifth, so that's yeah. really exciting. And yeah. speaking of response, you all have won two National Emmy of Television, Arts, and Sciences Heartland Chapter Awards, yes. one in 2019 for the 2018 uh, episode featuring Levi Parham, and then... This year, 2020, for the 2019 episode with JB. How exciting is that for you all to have won Emmys? It's pretty uh, pretty surreal. I mean, you know, uh, bringing that first one home, especially, and, and setting it on my mantle, just kind of, you walk by it in the morning, and you're like, well, wow. That, <laughs> I have uh, yeah, an Emmy. It's pretty strange. Um, and, and then the second one, unfortunately, having not getting to go through the whole process because of COVID was still super, super exciting. And it's a really neat and, and um, humbling, I think, uh, experience. Did you all anticipate it growing to that level when you started oh, it? I mean, you want to dream that way. <laughs> and I think, you know, now that you, we've got a regional Emmy now, it's like, well, can we get to a place where, you know, we're considered for the national sort of stage? And um, as it grows, you know, I think, I think the content is in line with a national scale. Now, that's also, you know, swinging for the fences, but one step at a time. So, do you have a favorite episode? <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's weird. And for me... Um, producing all of them, it's it's pretty stressful. Uh, so by the time it's done, <laughs> I usually just take a breath and, and say, you know, I, it, I'm glad for the experience. So I, I'm proud of all of the episodes, uh, all those people that, that we've covered. I've, I've become friends with, with many of them, um, and I'm, I'm deeply interested in their success as musicians and try to help them outside of those episodes as much as I can for what that's worth. Just hope that, um, you know, that that continues to, to grow. What do you feel is just really special about this series where it's getting all of this attention? I think it has to do with all the above. It's, it's the talent. It's the, you know, Adam does a really good job of, of sort of being in the moment with, with the musicians he, you know, he's not a musician, he's a filmmaker. So he's coming at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm an artist as well. And we have separate, but sort of common struggles. Um, we've, we have that conversation a lot with, with musicians and it's kind of like, you know, musicians are on the road a bunch. So they're away from their family a lot. I always say f being a filmmaker is kind of like being a band, being in a band that never gets out of the van. Like we're, we're on, we're on set for, you know, week, two week, three week, a month at a time for, you know, 10, 15 hours a day. But then once that's done, it goes into editing and then we're all back doing whatever. Um, whereas a band is constantly moving. That's a big part of it. How do you all select artists to be on the show? 
I wanted them to be Oklahoma musicians and I wanted them to be original artists and regardless of genre. And I wanted them to be actively pursuing their careers, you know, um, so those were really the only stipulations. So as we look out across what's going on in the music scene in Oklahoma, trying to pay attention to, to who's doing what and where, and then put, putting together a season that is representative of the moment. There are so many people that are really good. It's hard. We only do four episodes a season. Um, it, it's hard to get to everybody that, that wants to be a part of it, and it's getting harder. <laughs> you know, We're getting more attention and more people want to be a part of it. Look out for Season 5 coming soon. Find all of the Play It Loud episodes at grandresortok.com backslash playitloud or on YouTube, just search Play It Loud Oklahoma. It's time for learning language when CPN Language Department Director Justin Neely teaches vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. Hello, my name is Justin Neely. I'm uh, the language director for the tribe, and I wanted to share a couple of Halloween words with you today. Minojibe gijgit, minojibe gijgit, happy Halloween, minojibe gijgit, jibe gijgit is Halloween, jibe gijgit, washkabuck, washkabuck is candy, washkabuck, bebishagnagwe, bebishagnagwe is a bat, baby shagnagwe, mkade kajo, mkade kajo is a black cat, mkade kajo, kokoko is an owl, kokoko, espike, espike is a spider, espike, mendozet, mendozet is a witch, mendozet, katkuk, katkuk is a cauldron, Katkuk, Jibe is a ghost or a spirit, Jibe, Zag Konyewin are costumes, Zag Konyewin, literally scary outfits that, that you wear, Zag Konyewin, Wabgon, Wabgon is a pumpkin, Espike Nane, Espike Nane is Spider-Man, popular costume, Espike Nane, Ogamakwes is a princess, Ogamakwes. Shimaganeshi is a soldier. Shimaganeshi. And if you're a lady soldier, Shimaganeshi kwe. Shimaganeshi kwe. Espike wabuk. Spider web. Espike wabuk. Mbowadzit. A zombie. Mbowadzit. Mbowadzajuk. Zombies. Mbowadzajuk. Literally living dead. Mageshkachme. Mageshkachme, a vampire, a bloodsucker. Mageshkachme. Jibayatuk, Jibayatuk, a gravestone. Jibayatuk. Jibaugamuk, Jibaugamuk, a cemetery. Jibaugamuk. And one last phrase you can use when you're out trick or treating. Mission Anit Washkabuk. Give me some candy. Mission Anit Washkabuk. So those are just a few little terms that you can use uh, around the holidays when you're talking about Halloween, Jibegijgit. Um, when it came to Potawatomis and our traditions along Halloween, you know, we had things such as um, we had uh, ghost suppers, they were called, Jibakwe. They weren't necessarily done at Halloween per se, but it was something that we would do when we would honor like an ancestor who had passed on. 
they say that if you dream about someone, that means that you should make a, a spirit plate for them and, and have a jibakwe. And usually what we would do at a jibakwe is we would get together um, some dishes of food, uh, often something that that person really enjoyed, like maybe they really liked liver and onions or whatever that special dish they really liked, chocolate cake or something. And you'd make a spirit plate and you'd put a little bit of that food. And basically you would invite people to come to this jibakwe and then you would give them each a little piece little piece off of the plate. But before you actually ate the plate or ate the food, you would take and make a, a spirit plate and you would take some some of each dish and put it on to usually something that you can burn the fire, like uh, maybe like a piece of birch bark or something like that. Or if you have a paper plate, paper would be okay. And then you'd have a traditional fire going and put down some samos, some tobacco, and then take that birch bark that has that those little pieces of food from each of those plates on it place that in the fire and then also at the end you put a little bit of water in the fire and if you prepare one of those spirit plates they say you're supposed to go in a different door so like if you came if you went out the front door to put it in the fire or something then you would come back in through the back door um, that way that uh, a spirit doesn't follow you back and that was a jibakwe a ghost supper something that we traditionally do um, again not necessarily at at uh, this time of the year per se, but um, it could happen at this time of the year in the fall as well. In the winter time, we tend to believe that the spirits are asleep, that the earth is asleep. Aha, that's it for today. Bama Amina. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memrise. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech nikanek, bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.